Hey everyone, special announcement. On Friday, May 16th in Brooklyn, we are having a party and doing a live taping of episode 16. It's going to be a lot of fun. We would love to see you there if you're free. All of the info is on our website. And on this episode, we are joined by sex researcher Jana Vrangalova, Dr. Jana. She studies how different aspects of sexuality, especially casual sex, and mostly heterosexuality are linked to health and well-being. And she blogs on Psychology Today about the science of casual sex, and she also teaches human sexuality at NYU. So we'll talk a little bit to Jana about her work and her perspectives, and then we'll collectively address some of your questions, then we'll do quickies, and then we have a song for you. So if you dig what we do, please consider visiting patreon.com slash sexforsmartpeople and pledging a buck or two per episode to help keep us afloat. And you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, on FeedBurner. And as always, we just so deeply value being in conversation with all of you. We love hearing from you. Please keep sending us your questions that you'd like us to address. Let us know your thoughts or objections about anything that we say or discuss here. And we look forward to staying in conversation with you long into the future. Hope you enjoy this episode. Oh, hi. Hello. Welcome to Sex for Smart People. I'm Dave, and my preferred pronoun is he. I'm Stephanie, and my preferred pronouns are she or they. I'm Jana. My preferred pronoun is she. Welcome, Jana. Thank you. I'm very thrilled to have you converse- in conversation with us. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And so, Jana, what is your relationship to relationships? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, for one, I study them. Um, so I'm a sex researcher and sexual relationships are relationships. So um, uh, I study them on a daily basis. I also have them, <laughs> um, as most of us do. Um, and uh, what's the root? Will you say in your words, what's the root of your research or what you're most focused on these days? I mostly study casual sex hookups um, among young people and how they're related to uh, well-being, mental health, um, and other sort of outcomes. I also have a second line of research that is uh, on the mostly heterosexual or the people who are not entirely heterosexual but not sort of bisexual enough to consider themselves or be considered by others to be bi. Mm. Um, and I also kind of uh, study that in, in relationship to mental health and well-being. What is a day of research in this line uh, actually look like? <laughs> well, it's, um, it, it depends on the type of study. So many of my studies have entailed um, online surveys. So most of it is fairly boring. Um, it's not that sexy, just like academic papers <laughs> about sex are not sexy. Um, once a friend of my husband's read one of my academic papers or tried reading it and complained that it was so unsexy um and not sure what he expected um mm. uh, an erotic story uh, maybe yeah. <laughs> um 
but um, so on certain days it involves nothing more than sitting in front of your computer and analyzing data or coming up with uh, new questions to ask. Uh, but sometimes when um, I do more qualitative kind of work, I get to interview really fun, interesting people who have very um, cool, interesting sexual lives and stories. Um, I'm on a on a project of that kind right now and I've gotten to um, interview some really cool people. I just want to say one of the reasons why I'm so excited about the work that you're doing is I think that like in society where in American society at least when there's all this excess promiscuity and all this like residual shame and it's hard to find the life in the middle like it's just so hard to talk about sex and casual sex rationally there's all this stigma around those who have too much casual sex as um, as you know gross dirty icky bad meaningless and I think there's equal stigma around those who don't or maybe being prudish uptight or childlike and I just think um, doing even the unsexy research parts of this or maybe especially that is um, although I find research very sexy um, as I find nuance and information very sexy but um, I just think that that's so vital and important. Let's just look at this clearly without getting hung up on the stigma on either side. Let's just see what is and what works for people on a psychological level. And um, so thank you for the work that you do. Can I ask? Um, You're welcome. What um, what drew you to this You're particular? Say what is the correct amount of casual sex to have? Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Jana, <laughs> what is the correct amount of casual sex to have? You should have three new partners a week. Yay! Okay. <laughs> now that you. that's settled. Yeah. Okay. There's 350 million people in the country this year. Okay, this is going to work out really well and everybody's going <laughs> to... I have so many questions, but I, I want to go um, next to just what um, what drew you what lit the fire into your ass to study this particular thing um, whether personal reasons or intellectual inquiry or both um a lot of it has to do with what you were just talking about uh it, there's so much ambivalence about a lot of things that are really related to sexuality but especially these things that are you know somewhat on the margins um that you know very few people have issues with having missionary sex with your spouse, right? But um, a lot of people have problems with other types of sex that are not so sort of socially sanctioned. And um, because there's this love-hate relationship and because we get so many um, conflicting messages about it, right? Some people absolutely love it and some people absolutely hate it. Uh, and there's so many stereotypes and myths and prejudices related to it. Um I find it fascinating. I, I really want to get to the bottom of it. You know, why, why are people doing it? And, and what I uh, am particularly interested in, how does it affect people? And what do these things depend on? You know, it can be, you know, people t tend to think of casual sex as either bad or good. You know, it's black or white, but it can be, you know, not all uh, casual sex encounters are equally um, beneficial or equally harmful to people and not all people who engage in them are sort of equally susceptible to the, this potentially harmful or beneficial um, consequences. And so I really want to understand um, how this affects different people differently and what that depends on. What's, I, I have to frame this question as I tend to do, what's casual? Like, honestly, I have a, <laughs> uh, I've had some very fulfilling sexual encounters that are not building toward a long-term relationship, but I also feel like 
I kind of recoil at the word casual as I feel like I'm somebody who's like for better or for worse not casual about anything <laughs> and um so I guess when you study casual sex are you saying just something not building toward a long-term thing are you saying one night stands are you saying no emotional attachment or how do you what are the parameters of it's just that someone in the encounter is wearing a tie <laughs> <laughs> or a gown yeah uh-huh. but not everyone it's semi-formal sex <laughs> <At> least... <laughs> so i'm an expert in that in semi-formal uh-huh. sex <laughs> um it is a good question how you define casual sex, and different researchers have defined it differently. Um, some have focused on that very um, narrow way of defining it as a one-night stand uh, involving intercourse with someone that you just met you know, in the last 24 hours. Um, and that you could say that that's sort of the um, prototype, if you will, of, of what is casual because there's no emotional attachment. You haven't had a chance to develop any, right? And you barely know the person. Uh, you will never see them again and all that. Um, so, But I see it as a continuum. So on one end of the continuum is that one night stand with someone that you just met and will, will never see again. Um, but there are other levels of um, emotional attachment or closeness that you can feel with your partners that still falls outside the realm of romantic relationships like, um, you know, fuck buddies, people that you see um, over and over again, but it's nothing more than um, sex or um, even, you know, closer to the other end of the continuum, friends with benefits, you know, some someone that you really like and care about and spend some non-sexual time with as well. Um, but you don't have any sort of romantic um, long-term goals or plans. Um, so I think they they can all, in a more broader way, they all fall into the, 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 the casual realm or the, or the outside of a long-term committed romantic relationship. Do you find that there is stigma related to these arrangements or these types of relationships, even in New York in 2014? Uh, certainly a lot less in New York 2014 than, I don't know, in Georgia. Um, where, where are you from? <laughs> uh, Macedonia. Um, not sure how things are these days over there. I, I rarely go back home. Uh, it's a fairly conservative patriarchal, patriarchal society there, too. Um, not religious, or it wasn't, um, but for other reasons. Anyway. Um, so, yes, a lot less stigma about it in more progressive areas, but there is still some. Um, and um, I don't know, I haven't done research or I haven't read research about New York City specifically, but there still is definitely stigma among college students that we know of that um, has to do with, you know, having too much casual sex or having too many sexual partners. Um, it is both for men and for women, but obviously a little more for women there is still a double standard this is a lot to ask but because i <laughs> i'm just wondering can you like if you were to give like a two-minute summary of like the most important findings that you've come upon recently or the ones that you wish that were most in common knowledge what would they be Two minutes, go. (laughs) (laughs) Casual sex is not for everyone, but it is for some people. And so you should know whether it is for you. And there are certain, you know, personality characteristics that make people um, more or less susceptible to benefiting from it as opposed to being harmed by it. So um, do it if you really desire it. 
if you really want it, if you have positive attitudes towards it, if you know how to get the kind of pleasure that you want out of it. Not everyone is, is particularly good at that. If you know how to say no to the things that you don't want, um, if you are able to um, sort of brush off the stigma that goes with it, if you're able to control your emotional attachment that sometimes happens and is unreciprocated and can lead to, you know, heart and depression. Um, so if you kind of fall into that category, um, into all of those categories, then go for it. Um, but if you, you fall on the other end of the spectrum on those categories, then it's probably not the best thing for you. Wow. That two minutes? Well done. I think you got some time <laughs> left. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, then do it right. There are good ways and bad ways to do it. Um, you know, be safe when you do it. Um, don't get drunk. Uh, that's or don't get too yeah. drunk. You know, you can get a little, I guess, a little tipsy, but <sighs> don't get too wasted. Um, you know, do it for the right reasons. Um, choose your partners well. Choose partners that are going to care for you and sort of, you know, try to make you happy and even if it's an hour long thing like your partners and love your partners while you do it um, even if you're never going to see them again even if it's a one hour thing in the bathroom stalls adore them mm, I love that, that it's like the same the same protocol or the same integrity and humanity that you'd apply to a longer term relationship let's here's let's issue a challenge can we all apply that to any <laughs> intimate every, encounter yeah, any interaction, interaction with anybody any day yeah. is to say that there's not i i reject categorically the idea that there's one person that you have a relationship with and that is the person that you are kind to and then everyone else can go fuck themselves it's really like <laughs> a, a, a address everyone as the human that they are and interact yeah. with everyone as if that interaction might be the most important one you ever have it can get tiring but oh my god it'll be worth it absolutely yeah, yeah i think that's that's a great lesson that people doing casual sex could really learn um those partners even if they're fleeting, they are your partners for that moment and give yourself fully to that and respect them and care for them. I guess that's what I mean when I say I'm not casual about anything is I, right. I associate <laughs> the word casual with like not giving a shit about a partner, but I, right. I understand that's not what, that, that yeah. anything can be done in a, in a whole way or in a broken way. Exactly. And casual is just maybe not the best word for it, but that's kind of the word that we've, we've come up with and started using in, in research and in the popular kind of um, usage. So there's this uh, thing that has gone slightly viral around the internet, which is um, 18 truths about modern dating that um, by the time this is out, there will be a sex for smart people official response to excitingly. Mm -hmm. But one of them is that um, in any relationship, the person who cares least or shows less interest has the power um, I find that repellent and abhorrent. Um, but do you find that this is a this is a common thought in your research that in casual sex people are aiming to not care so that they maintain power? In quotes, I don't know if they do it in in, in order to maintain power. Um, I do know that uh, from anecdotal research, I don't think there's a lot of um. Know, quantitative kind of research and published research about it, but from an anecdotes, um, 
especially when people are younger, especially um, in college, they will specifically try not to care when it comes to casual partners um, because they want to, you know, make sure that there are no emotions. They they don't want to send the wrong signal to the other person. Uh, so a lot of that happens. And um, as people get older, um, they kind of realize what we were just talking about, that, you know, even if it's casual, you still need to care and, and respect and be nice to the other person. Cool. Mm. I'm just checking in with myself and how my feelings around casual encounters, I'm, I feel like I've been at all different places on the spectrum. And I think like there are seasons of my life when I, um, when it's really fun for me to experience new people's energies and that again, I, with a lot of care involved, not, not being casual, but, but trusting that this is a short-term thing, like that's really fun for me. And I think recently and also at other, some other moments, I've been at a place where, um, even though I don't feel like I apply the stigma around casual connections that I'm just not, not as into it. And I feel like, I don't know, I've been at all different places on the spectrum. Do you guys feel comfortable sharing where you fall there? Uh, um... <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm not, it it doesn't it doesn't interest me. It doesn't interest me. Um uh I am the most personally conservative radical you're ever going to find. Um <laughs> uh so um I know that casual encounters tend to leave me feeling sad. So I try not to have them. And that's great. It's great to know yourself and what works and what doesn't work for you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um I'll keep that sort of private I'm going to be a professional, serious sex too. researcher here. <laughs> and um, I think we I'm should go on really to... I'm open about it with my friends and people. I'm not quite sure I want stuff like that out in public. Not a problem at all. So, on to your questions. But first, a disclaimer. I made a huge mistake and I somehow lost a bit of the audio when we recorded it originally. So Jana is kind enough to have us record it again. So you'll notice this <laughs> difference in the audio quality, but hopefully not a difference in the content quality. We'll make sure of oh, that. Only be better. In take two. Oh, yeah. Take two. Here we go. Um, and this question is our... Ready, Dave? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Crowds Crowds question. Question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We gotta keep. It's always harder when separated by physical it's space. It's true. We're we're over the phone this time, but um, there's some some hemiola going on there. I think. Um, will you please read the first question, Dave? Yeah, my question is about Tinder. I am from Montreal, and most users in Montreal clearly understand the app to be for hookups. The dirty talk routinely begins within five minutes of the first chat. But that doesn't seem to be the case at all here in Chicago, where I've recently moved, which really throws me off balance. The sexual culture here strikes me as being somewhat conservative. I don't even know how to use Tinder anymore, since many local users appear to be turned off by the very idea of hooking up. Is there a Midwestern protocol to follow, or am I bound to use Tinder as if it were another version of Match.com? Okay, so we have three responses from listeners to share. Response number one. 
I've had a similar experience as the questioner. I moved to the Midwest from the coast, and the rhythms and etiquette here are more sexually conservative. You know that when you move, you might have a harder or easier time finding someone you click with, but nobody tells you that the rules of the game will be different too. And you have to play by those rules, or you'll come off as someone who behaves inappropriately and can't follow cues. If there's a Midwestern Konami cheat code that turns chase dates into passionate, casual hookups, I haven't found it yet. The only advice I can offer is the obvious. Talk to your prospective hookups about what you want. Yeah. Although, you know, as, long, as just to throw in something here before response number two, starting off up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right can never be a bad idea. Is that the Konami cheat code? It's the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you know that. Ah, yeah, well, you know. Okay, um, response number two. Um, I am a straight woman in my 30s, living in Chicago. I joined Tinder in January, but didn't actively start using until early April. I'd heard horror stories from other single friends who used it, which fell into two categories. You won't believe what he said to me, or we went out and he turned out to be terrible. Both stories usually earn the same response from the gallery. I mean, you met him on Tinder. To borrow a trope from Lena Dunham, on the totem of dating sites, Tinder is seen as the bottom of the heap. Everyone knows it's cheap, easy, and free. And yet my own experience has oddly not reflected that. It's very close to the question askers. The communication I've had from men on the site is pretty chaste. Most start out with a fair amount of conversation before the whole do you want to hook up question comes up. And sometimes it doesn't even come up. A few guys I've talked to on Tinder seem to want conversation and nothing more. One asked me out right away. Originally, I agreed to go, but canceled upon getting to know him better via chatting and realized we were entirely incompatible. Even last night, I talked to a guy for a full 45 minutes before he asked me to come over. So my experience has been expecting the worst and getting something else. Not better, yet but something more polite than I anticipated. Frankly, I got dirtier message when I was on OKC and had checked the looking for casual sex box. I think the whole Midwestern culture is a likely culprit, but I haven't really explored other explanations or had enough experience to say for sure. For being such a liberal city, which I appreciate, Chicagoans exhibit fairly conservative methods of courtship. I've only ever dated in Chicago, but heterosexual courtship is entirely drawn down gender lines and there is a base assumption on what happens once you settle down. Live in the city a couple years, get pregnant, move to the suburbs for the kids, and then, I don't know, let the cycle continue with your own children? <laughs> and response number three. I think the short answer is that gay people just are not on Tinder. Grinder and Scruff have dominated the gay mobile hookup app market in Chicago. Tinder is almost seen as, once again, heteros being behind the homos in love and in sex. <laughs> Gays have been hooking up online since at least the late 90s on sites like Gay.com, Manhunt, or Adam for Adam. It is only recently that straight people have caught on to easy online sex. There's also a tacit understanding of what you are looking for depending on the website you're on. If you want to date someone slash court someone, go on match.com or okcupid.com. If you want a quick fuck, go on Craigslist, Manhunt, Adam for Adam, Scruff, or Grinder. What you want dictates what apps and sites you use. Thank you so much to everybody <laughs> who wrote in. Yeah. Oh, man, so there does seem to be some sort of cultural difference Midwest from where this person moved or Midwest versus other places, not to be down on the Midwest. Um, but it also sounds like the person who wrote in this original question is like very clear about what he's interested in right now and and i think that's a great thing and and how does he go about getting what he wants
Um, yeah, I mean, my students um, were doing a research project on which hookup apps are the most perceived as the most promiscuous ones, and Tinder definitely came up uh, on top as the most promiscuous um, app or the, the app where people go to hook up. Um, but I think most of their subjects were here on the East Coast, so I don't know how Chicagoans perceive that. Um, Can I throw in a quick question just to double check? Hookup here means have no strings attached sex and move on. Is that what hookup means generally? Well, I mean, it could be, or it could be we hook up now and then we hook up again, but it's not a romantic relationship, right? I mean... But hookup implies physical connection, sex of some sort, right? To me, definitely. I think think of hookup as almost synonymous with casual sex. And as Mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier in the interview part, um, that... Casual or hookup doesn't have to mean flippant, but but hookup being like a presumption of not like super deep emotional attachment. Sure, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't have to be a one night stand only. I mean, it could be something that happens, you know, repeatedly with the same partner again and again. Yeah, more toward the this the sex side of the spectrum than the love side of the spectrum. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, um, in the research that was um. Okay, well, I, Stephanie, you are from the Midwest. I, you dated in the Midwest. Do you find it to be true that there is a difference in how um, hookups or um, casual sex is, is approached or brought up or done uh, by large? I think it's... it's uh, I don't believe in any, like broad swath generalizations, really. I think as yeah. as the people who wrote in have said, and as, as I observed somewhat growing up, I mean, sure, there is a, is a cultural difference, but um, I don't know. I just feel like there have to be other people in... Uh, this person is in, who wrote in is in Chicago. There have to be some other people who are into similar things, and maybe it's harder to find those people than in other locations, but my instinct here is to encourage the person who wrote in to not um i don't know to not try a much different approach like to keep being really clear about what he's interested in right now because he's honest about that with himself and there has to be somebody out there who (laughs) who is and maybe it's harder than from where he moved from but i guess i would just i would encourage him not to like try to play a game to be something that he's not or be looking for something that he's not, um, even if it's harder, I guess. Yeah, I think definitely he's right. the, he should remain honest about what he wants, but there, there's also the, the difference in sexual cultures, and so maybe, maybe just um, sort of be aware that it might take a little longer. So even if you are very clear about the fact that you just want to hook up, you still might have to talk to the other person for like 45 minutes as that woman um, uh-huh. described before inviting her to come over. You know, maybe maybe people there are aware that Tinder is for hookups, but they just want a little more of, you know, getting to know um, the person they're talking to, have some more, you know, communication before the actual act. So I think it's a combination probably between, you know, being honest about what you want and not sort of trying to lie about it, but um, also... Um, adapting to a slightly different social sexual norms. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, but I do see I do see that there is a possibility of leading somebody on here. How so? Um uh 
I agree in theory with um, adapting to the norms or like being with what is, but I think that uh, to I think that it would still be great to be upfront if you're if what you're mostly looking for is non love or emotion based casual sex. Like even if it's also fun to talk for 45 minutes mm -hmm. before coming over. I think that can be a great thing. And that's, you know, that, that's a way of being adaptable that I think is, is great. But, um, but not to give an impression that what you're looking for is dating when you're really looking for yeah. a, a one-off hookup. Um, that, that that's not a way of adapting to the cultural norms that I don't think any of us are suggesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. So can I admit two points of further ignorance on my on my <laughs> part? Um, d does on Tinder do you have a profile that you can say stuff like this on, or is it just you're looking at pictures and playing "Am I hot or not"? So Jana and I are looking at each other, <laughs> shrugging. So this is one of the reasons why we picked this to be a crowdsource question because <laughs> oh, okay. I don't have firsthand knowledge of Tinder. Yeah, me neither. And I so thank you, use the thank app. you so much to those who wrote in. And please, those of you who are listening, if you have more thoughts and wisdom here, like this is something I want to learn more about and um, talk to more people who do use Tinder. But um, if you're listening so, and you know more than we do, please, please write in and let us know. That's, well, if it turns out at the moment you can't possibly know less, it, here is my entire Tinder experience. Some A friend of mine told me to try it. I downloaded it, opened it, saw that you had to log in with your Facebook account, deleted it, and moved on with my life. <laughs> so I actually have no idea how Tinder works. Um, okay, so we don't know that. But I'm sure there is um, a profile. Uh, okay. There has to be a profile. Like All apps work on that sort of premise. Right. I'm not sure what's in that okay, profile. I would imagine so. But even so, Stephanie, just to say you're saying that if you're more interested in a hookup than romantic relationship, um, is, that, is that something that you feel like everybody knows going into an encounter that, that you're intent on it being one way or the other? And if so, how do you bring that up? Oh, that's a really good question, because I think it could change for somebody yeah but that's like going on casual encounters craigslist and you know looking for someone to marry I, th I think that's the whole point of having these different kinds of of apps that you know if you're going on tinder you're kind of going with the idea of hooking up even if you want to talk to the person for 45 minutes first um so oh, I, th I think the talking my <laughs> so I, I think there's some at least expectation that this is more of a casual thing not necessarily that there's no way at all that it might turn into something more but and i wonder maybe still more so of a casual thing even in chicago right right even if uh yeah you know i'm 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 interested in hearing more about this honestly about um uh, like this is a topic that I find really interesting and I think a lot of people have a lot of questions mm -hmm. about and every and I think a lot of people feel on shaky ground with this so I want to encourage m like more responses to this or your experience yeah. on tinder or I, I, if you have more thoughts please keep and I love any opportunity to trumpet that none of us are experts here and that we're all in this conversation <laughs> together <laughs> yep I'm just surprised to find out that Tinder has an E in it. I would have guessed it would be T-I-N-D-R. You know, it does indeed have an E in it. We're looking at the site right now. Um, <laughs> but not where you think. Wait. Um, I think we should go on to the next question.
Yeah, totally. Um, uh, would, would you like me to read this Go for one? it. Okay. Um, I'm a gay male in my early 40s. I just ended a seven-year relationship, and I know it is best for me to not dive into anything too serious too soon. But I have a high sex drive, and I definitely want to do more than masturbate. I am torn between trying to just do one-off hookups or trying to arrange some sort of ongoing friends-with-benefit situation. What, in your perspective, tends to be the better-slash-healthier choice? Are there any psychological studies of stuff like this that you know? Dun, da, da, da. <laughs> Dr. Jean of Rangalova. Are there any psychological studies of stuff like this that you know of? There are indeed. I literally just uh, am about to publish one. Um, hey, <laughs> um, yeah, this was this is perfect timing. Um, so there have been a number of studies looking at whether you know casual sex of any kind leads to you know negative mental health outcomes. Uh, people have been fairly concerned with that. Um, and most studies have actually not found a relationship, especially not um, over time, so longitudinally, when you um, you could control for initial levels of well-being and then you look at any new um, casual sex experiences, whether that impacts negatively your, your uh, well-being. Um, most of the studies find that there actually aren't any um, those kinds of sort of causal links um, so, um, but, but most of the studies only define casual sex in one way. And so, um, my most recent study that, that got accepted, um, that should be published within the next month or so, um, actually looked at separately at one night stands versus longer casual relationships, um, over a three month period. And what we found was that, um, in most cases there weren't, no effects of either one, but when there were some differences, um, it, it turned out that the one night stands um, actually predicted um, higher later anxiety, um, higher depression in men only, and higher life satisfaction in women only. Um, and the longer casual ones did not have sort of any any relationship. So what that might mean is that the one night stands maybe have um, more, sort of an immediate. Um, high or low? Or? Yes, high or low, depending on whether it was a positive maybe experience or a negative. Um, so but, but it could have sort of an immediate effect uh, that maybe later on it disappears. Um, but what I would say overall, based on all the research on casual sex and, and the different types of um, uh, casual sex relationships, um, it really depends on what works for you. Uh, one night stands, I think work for some people better and longer casual, uh, ones work for other people. So, um, you know, some people get attached really easily and that can negatively affect their well being if it doesn't turn out to be a romantic relationship for those people, maybe one night stands are better. Um, um, you know, some people really, really like the novelty aspect of it. So, you know, one night stands for those people might work um, better. Um, other people like the comfort of knowing um, a partner and, you know, the sex gets better the, over um, the first, you know, few or many times that you're with them. So longer casual would work better in that way. Some people want to limit the number of partners that they have. They don't want to, you know, for sexual health reasons or for like reputation reasons, they want to sort of have fewer partners. So, you know, friends with benefits would work better for them. So it really, it's a personal preference to a lot, mm -hmm. to a great extent. Yeah. Um, is there any um, research or, or, sense that you've gotten in your research that says that people will tend to um, 
accurately predict their own reaction to one night stands or mm. casual sex like if if people think they're going to be into it are they and if they think that they won't like it do they not i don't think any study has looked at um at sort of both steps you know asking the same people how do you think you'll react and then having them go through the experience and asking um again how they did react um okay. Yeah, so I, I don't think we have that. Mm. There was one study that kind of looked at people who, um, uh, before they went on spring break, uh, they were asked how likely they thought they were to hook up. Um, and then they were asked, you know, did you hook up uh, when they came back from, from spring break? Um, but I don't think they asked about, you know, how, do you, how, how did you think you were going to react? So Interesting. I like that question, though, Dave. Um, yeah. And I, cause, I mean, what do you, do you think, do you think you, people tend to have an idea, Stephanie? Say that again, please. Do you think people tend to have an idea, a correct, an accurate idea of how they'll respond? Oh, I don't know. Cause again, in thinking about this question, it's like, well, you know, the, the, the trite response is like, well, be self-aware, know what you want mm-hmm. and communicate about it. And I guess that's not trite. I mean, that is like the core truth that we're all like aiming for, but I do think there's so much gradation between that or like. I've been surprised sometimes where like approaching something in a, um, I, I like not flippant, but in a, in a way that I don't expect it to be like a longer term thing and then feeling more attached than I thought and vice versa. So from, from personal experience, I'm even not sure. <laughs> yeah. And we know from some other research that, you know, people, cause sex, having sex with someone and also especially having good sex and having orgasmic sex, um, often leads to this cascade of neurochemical um, sort of activity in your brain that makes you bond with that person or makes you kind of infatuated with that person um, that you just had this, you know, great sex with. And so um, oftentimes people, even if they went into um, the experience thinking or, you know, expecting it would be completely casual, um, that nothing would come out of that, they can't really help but sort of think more about that person and maybe wonder, oh, is this going to lead to something? And, you know, some people um, get attached so easily that they kind of start naming their babies and uh, planning their wedding or imagining their wedding. I do feel like it's it's, um, possible to kind of know where you are as an individual on that spectrum, though, on like how easily you tend to get attached while you can't predict exactly how you'll respond to any given situation. I think that, that it is possible and important to know kind of Absolutely. where you land there. Absolutely. I, that's one of the, the main things I think people should ask themselves before thinking, you know, is casual sex kind of the right thing for me? Um, and we do know that. I mean, we know based on how we interact with, with people and partners over the course of our lives, we kind of get a sense of how easily we get attached to to others and so I think you know for people who do get attached very easily that it's probably better to, to stay away from from those very casual kinds of encounters or there are certain ways to maybe manage your um, commitment and, and bonding as well um, like not see people more than you know once or twice um, or trying to uh, have a rotation between, you know, a different partners or dance to... card, uh? have a dance card, dance card. Yeah. <laughs> or John, can I question something in the premise of the question actually, which is that in, in the research, is it best for people to not dive into anything too serious too soon? Mm. Is it what? Is it best for people oh. to not dive into anything too serious too soon? Mm. Um, yeah, it seems like, 
Um, a, a lot of those relationship with, relationships where people do dive in very quickly, very seriously, they tend to fizzle out after a while. So it's too intense. And that in, initial infatuation that people feel when they meet and you know things are great and they're so in love and, and they spend all their time together and you know you, you, there are these neurochemicals in your brain that make you make you a little blind to any negatives that this person might possess or you kind of tend to downplay the negatives and it, it's not I wish just... I could say I knew nothing about that <laughs> I've been guilty of that too yeah and again some people are more susceptible yeah. to to that infatuation period than other people but um, there's definitely that aspect that you kind of start committing to one another very quickly without really knowing each other without having a lot of shared history and experiences that will tell you are you a good compatible long-term partners and so um uh, when that happens, you know, the first three, four or five months are amazing. And then as the, you know, endogenous drugs in your brain wear off, uh, you start to see the negatives of, of that person. You start to see the, the areas of incom- incompatibility, um, you know, that tends to then, you know, blow up and go nowhere. And I guess that all would happen regardless of whether or not this person had just gotten out of another serious uh, relationship, mm-hmm. like the 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 person who wrote in right, did. Right. Um, but I'm guessing it might be, I don't know, maybe it's felt more acutely if you dive in too soon after another, like mm-hmm. right after another serious thing. Yeah. Um, pop, I mean, it, it can be, you know, thought of as an emotional crutch, right. To immediately sort of shift your commitment to someone else. Um, where, whereas it's probably better to, um, you know, be with yourself, process what happened with the previous partner um, mm-hmm. for for a while, um, be comfortable with yourself and being who you are. Because oftentimes after long-term relationships, we kind of lose our sense of individuality, individuality and who we are and what we like to do. And so it's it's good to kind of refine yourself or if necessary, reinvent yourself before you sort of start building a new relationship Ooh. with someone else. And we have to wrap in under two minutes. Okay. But I really want to talk for a minute about... How do you balance like feeling authentic feelings, like being true to like what's in you and saying, Ooh, but not too fast. Like what happens when you're beginning to feel feelings for somebody, but feel like wanting to keep those at bay? Yeah. I mean, it's, that's always a tricky situation, right? I don't Mm. think I have a good response for it, but I mean, the way I've done things in my own life and the way I, I, you know, give advice to my friends and other people, I guess, would be, you know, try to take it a little more slowly. Um, you know, try not to dive in too soon because you're not, you can't be quite sure that that's really genuine because that, mm-hmm. you know, is, is it just an emotional crutch that you're using or is this really genuine? Yeah. And I would say like, breathe in a literal yeah. and metaphorical mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably that's a, good one. a good and basic suggestion. Um, we need to move on, but any last words, Dave, I on wanna, this one? There's just one really quick, totally very serious thing I need to bring up. Yeah. I got the Konami code wrong. It's up, up, down, down, <laughs> left, right, left, right, which works less good as a sex joke, but you know, I just, in the interest of being totally <laughs> honest, I got, I did that, that was very important. Thank you so much for, for <laughs> admitting that. And, uh, and we're, uh, now gonna wrap up this section and you listeners will go on to question three and Jana and I are going to go look at Tinder some more. <laughs> um, enjoy the sudden change in audio quality. <laughs> question three. What do you think about the announcer voice?
Mm. Okay, question three. I prefer Ira Glass. (laughs) Question three. This one comes in from uh, emailer (laughs) who wanted to get us. um, uh, Thank you. Can you do Terry Gross? No, I have to do (laughs) Terry. Question three. Now, this comes in to us from an avid amateur masturbator. Um, uh, Now, uh, while you're asking this question, I just... Oh, no, I think you have to read it neutrally. Okay, but let me just do the Ira Glass. Okay, let me do Ira Glass just one more time. Okay. Question three. Okay, no, I'm sorry. Okay, I am an avid, I am an avid amateur masturbator. I'm reading the question now. I am an avid amateur masturbator. I often wake up restless in the middle of the night, pursue my hobby for twenty minutes, and then fall back asleep. But what about when I am sleeping with a new partner? If we've already brought my penis out into play in a sexual context, is it okay if a few hours later, when my partner's asleep, I take it out again for a victory lap, or is that something that needs to be cleared in advance? I'm not jerking off onto my sleeping friend, just turning in the other direction and having a discreet orgasm. Well, I have wildly different responses to this. One in in like this is this has happened to me. And then but my first and this has happened to me and actually it was like not a big deal, no problem. Um but when I hear this and when I think about it, I think like wait a second, like I would definitely want to be checked in with like um i don't know or or if well well stepping aside for just one second huge shout out to the importance of self-knowledge through self-pleasure and having and the richness that everybody in a relationship also masturbating in addition to partnered sex and mutual masturbation too but that that's like i think part of an ideal sexual dynamic because the better you know yourself the more you can bring to the partnered relationship and also just like time with yourself is awesome and so so there's no uh there's only celebration of healthy masturbation from me in this but also i do feel like if you're in shared space with a partner or like shared time like in the course of a a date that you've agreed upon um that if there's if you feel like you want to have an orgasm that like to at least check in be like hey you want to come along on this ride or is it is it cool if i take a break in the bathroom um that would be my first instinct that like not checking in would be bad and yet when i experienced this it was like we had had lots of amazing sex i cared about getting a good night's sleep and then we got to have sex again in the morning and like this was no big deal that this had also happened. So I'm conflicted by my strong reaction against like, oh my God, don't do that. You should talk to each other about things and then having experienced it and it being fine. Well, it sounds like this happens when the other person is asleep, right? So I wouldn't want to be woken up in the middle of the night to, you know, be asked if this is okay. Yeah. Like I want to, Stay asleep. Thank you very much. Yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> um, whether this is something that you should clear with them ahead of time, I I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, f- I feel the same conflict that you know things should be con- you know consensual in a way, but this really doesn't involve them. Um, so. Okay. So my initial reaction, and I'm not sure how problematic this is, is to say that like. It should be assumed that everyone is masturbating, right? That that even if you're yes. in, even especially if you're in the uh, 
bang in sexual relationships that also masturbation is occurring. Say especially. Yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I kind of feel like like if that bed is now a sex space okay uh but even if, if like self-pleasure i think that sounds great i feel like if you don't want somebody masturbating in your bed while you're sleeping it might be on you to ask them not to rather than the person who wants to masturbate asking for permission to do so does that seem weird at all to be like by the way, while I'm sleeping, please don't jerk off the other way. I don't know how common this is. <laughs> yeah, <honestly>. me either. <laughs> but if it's like a big deal to you, if that would gross you out. Or like if maybe you bring woke up. up while they were doing it, well, you noticed what... and you're like, could you not do this, please? But if that would make you give the side eye. Like, why? Like, I feel like that's on, maybe that's on the person who doesn't want it to happen rather than the person. Kind of because I feel like masturbation should be assumed. Yeah. And I'm going to the like, well, what if you do then do wake up? Um, I think then, like, the question is, if you're, okay, if you got you're, it. <laughs> yeah, I got this, if, if you are this guy masturbating next to your sleeping partner and your partner wakes up and you would feel run. weird about it, <laughs> no, yeah, run, <laughs> and, and if you would feel weird about it or you would definitely want to continue on your own without inviting them to join you, you probably shouldn't do it or you probably shouldn't be sleeping next to that person or you should find another or you should go do it in the bathroom um but if you are doing it and if your partner wakes up even though you really weren't trying to wake them and they could join in then i think no problem yeah so maybe not clear it ahead of time but then if they wake up you can sort of tell them so i woke up i'm still horny i was just masturbating you, or you better know. yet that i'm still horny like i was just thinking about you so much Ooh, but i didn't want to wake you I, up yeah. yeah like visions of what we just did are running mm -hmm. through my head so much but i know you care about sleeping and so yeah, so i had to jerk off one more time but you know if you're awake and want to join in yeah yeah and please don't jerk off next to me in my bed and then you roll over and go back to sleep yeah. <laughs> or that I agree with everything that we have said. Great. <laughs> and so almost on to quickies. But before we do that, Dr. Jana, where can people find more of your stuff if they would like to learn more and read your writing? I blog on Psychology Today. My blog is called Strictly Casual. It's on the science of hookups, and I write a new thing every couple of weeks. I also tweet daily about new sex research so if you care about sex research um the latest in sex science um is on dr jana d-r-z-h-a-n-a -A. um i also run uh, a website called the casual sex project where people can share their hookup stories um any kind of one night stands friends with benefits fuck buddies sex with an ex whatever um it is you can post your stories and that's the casualsexproject.com do it so i mine is not an endorsement or a rant this time it's just a um a sort of personal reflection on uh, you know on knowing oneself and knowing one's limits which is that since we last recorded the last episode I got involved in an argument on the internet about um, specifically like, okay, I promised myself that I would no longer read comments that had anything to do with feminism or LGBTQ uh, rights or anything because 
they make me too angry. And I got involved in an online discussion about it, and I was not being kind. And I had to excuse myself from it. Um, but I so this is a this is a personal reflection that says if, if you are getting involved in online discourse and you know that in that topic you will not be able to be your kindest self, maybe take a walk around the block instead. Oh. <laughs> And then come back and respond if you want. Maybe. Yeah. I, you know, or maybe go for another walk around that blog. But, uh, you know, Jana, you are living proof that someone's mind can be changed on the internet. But um, but I think it's fairly rare. And if you know that the damage to your blood pressure is more is, is likely to be um, uh, more than, than the amount of change you're able to affect it during that conversation. You know, the stars are out sometimes. It could be nice to go look at those. <laughs> um i have two quickies i'm always so greedy what is one deal? is really fast the really fast one is oh my god if you are hearing this before may 16th 2014 and you're in new york city go see the family play at the new ohio directed by lee sunday evans i saw an early workshop i haven't seen this version but it is just the early material is just so gorgeous and sits in questions about queerness and family and sexuality and gender identity and um go see it go see it go see it um my other quickie just a little juicier and longer is um always a good mix uh, um i also a personal reflection um i had this meeting with badass student organizer this undergrad student at nyu who's like 20 and i feel like 10 times wiser than me um and uh she was organizing uh around gender-based violence awareness week and we were talking about the the challenges with finding like with discussing philosophy around sexuality, for example, the term sex positive has a lot of really great things going for it. As if we presume we live in a sex negative society that's like based on shame, then sex positive is not saying everybody should have all the sex all the time, but it's just saying we are like free from shame or, um, or whatever choices you make around sexuality, we celebrate or whoever you are sexually, we celebrate. And so um, that's mostly great, but that also does leave out people who um who may feel like they're not interested in talking about sex at all or having sex at all or celebrating sex at all and i think that's really important to remember and i've been in touch with that for a while and i'm only skimming the surface of the complexity of that discussion oh my god but i have been it's almost comical at this point because i've been working on an essay about this for like a year but really i just keep developing my own ideas and and listening and realizing how how humongous this whole conversation is and feeling kind of overwhelmed but i i often use the term sexuality from a place of wholeness as an alternative to sex positive because of all the critique around the words sex positive so i kept using in this conversation sexuality from a place of wholeness yes i write songs about sexuality from a place of wholeness and she just very gently called me on how that also makes certain people invisible that there are, for example, survivors of, of sexual assault who like maybe their sexuality, it's it's not an option to, to be coming from a place of wholeness or maybe they're working towards that or maybe not, but that, um, that even that term makes them invisible and could be hurtful. And also um, I know some people personally for whom this is true and she brought up people from this is true that their trigger is their kink or their turn on and that that like, 
that in their way comes from a place of wholeness. Um, uh, for example, like a lot of people who are into humiliation have no personal relationship with humiliation in their lives, but some people who are into humiliation, like there's some, uh, some past trauma related to humiliation that, that then um, they are honestly turned on by and that's great for them. And so I just want to, I really loved how gently and kindly and truthfully uh, this student uh, made my thinking around this more complex. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't use the term. We can't use, we can't always be perfect around language. I think that the whole point around this is to, is not that, you know, pick your words more carefully, but it's to, what I feel inspired about is that I had been like, yeah, sexuality from a place of wholeness. That's what I'm rocking. Is like, that's my philosophy. And I feel really grateful to have been thrown off kilter with that. And I'm like going to still use those, that term and address the term, but I'm also going to be better about speaking about the complexity around it and investigating that within myself. That was not, oh God, I'm horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Brevity is, has never been my strong point. Uh, my quickie, quickie is something that I've been <clears throat> my quickie is something that I've um, started getting very passionate about recently, and that is translating uh, sex research into popular um, sort of writings and speaking and teaching. Uh, I feel that researchers don't do enough of that, psychologists and other researchers, but I uh, care mostly about sex researchers. They don't do enough of that, and they should do more because there is so much hunger and desire for knowledge um, by the general population who is never going to read the academic articles that we write and publish in academic journals. And it's really amazing the, the, the reach that you can have when you start talking to general audiences. You know, a, a paper that you publish in an academic journal, if you're lucky, will get read by, I don't know, maybe 500 people. And that's, you know, if you're lucky. Um, you, you write one popular media article and it might may get read by 200,000 people. And seeing that, and that happened to me recently, you know, seeing that um, is, is really amazing that you can reach so many people and teach them something about sexuality that they didn't know that comes from, you know, science and um, sort of objective research. Um, so we should be doing more of that all of us. So all of the sex researchers reading this, get on Twitter, get on Facebook, start writing p blogs and you know pieces for various media outlets. Before we wrap up this episode, I have a song that I would love to share with you. As many of you already know, my bandmate Jillian and I are currently making an album called Love Songs for the Rest of Us, which will come out this fall. And we built these songs in conversation with people of all different ages, all different backgrounds across the whole United States in a tour we did in people's living rooms last fall, playing and singing and talking with them about their perspectives and values about love and sex and families. And... I was just consistently blown away by the generosity and wisdom of the people that we encountered. And I'm just so grateful that we got to do that and for all that we learned. And 
So we have a couple of new demos. On the album itself, there'll be these acoustic versions and also dance remixes of five of the songs, including the one that you're about to hear. And the song that you're about to hear is inspired by this young person in my life who I was the first person that they came out to over the phone a bunch of years ago. And I vividly remember where I was standing and what I was wearing. And most of all, just the weight and pain in this person's voice. And thankfully, they are now doing awesome. But I really carry this this experience in this relationship with me and I came up with this song while thinking what song do I wish existed for this person before they even got to the point of making this phone call and so this is that song no wonder you are racked with pain my love The aftertaste of shame doesn't easily fade away I hear your fear, I've been there too, my love This rage in me is rooted in all that says you're not okay To my sister coming out at 14 To my mother who's beginning to understand what that means To my neighbor with secret fantasies To anyone, anywhere who's ever felt they're alone in thinking these things No shame being into what you're into No worries, you're not into or you're not You're invited to be all of who you are Loving only who you love Saying yes when it feels good Oh, to my brother Whose wounds are still raw To my lover Who owns a desire like never before to my neighbor who's never felt that pull To anyone finding what makes their body alive and their heart full No shame being into what you're into No worries, you're not into what you're not You're invited to be all of who you are Loving only who you love Saying yes when it feels good Saying yes when it feels good Saying yes when it feels good No shame being into what you're into No worries, you're not into what you're not You're invited to be all of who you are Loving only who you love Saying yes when it feels good Oh, no shame being into what you're into to what you're not You're invited to be all of who you are Loving only who you love Saying yes when it feels good Saying yes when it feels good Saying yes when it feels good So that's it for episode 14 Thank you again so much to Jana 
And if anybody out there is looking for an amazing graphic designer or someone to help you build your website, we have high, high recommendations for you. Uh, Priska Wenger did our logo and Alex Mallory is helping us revamp our website. And please get in touch with us at hello at sexorsmartpeople.com if you'd like to get in touch with either of them to work with them. We really can't recommend them highly enough. And on our next episode, we're trying something just a little bit different. We're having dinner with Bobby and Steve Siegelbaum. Bobby and Steve are dear friends of mine who have been married for nearly 50 years, and they're musicians and educators and activists. They're still singing and protesting in the streets regularly. They were good friends with Pete Seeger while he was alive, and um Steve is also a retired middle school principal, and Bobby uh, taught sex ed in New York City public schools for 20 years, and they're incredibly wise and kind and insightful, and I always feel like I learn so much when I talk to them, and we're going to talk about what we think is most important in terms of long-term partnerships and what happens when things get hard and what is maybe most important to talk to young people about so they can be happiest and healthiest when they're adults. So I have a really good feeling about this one. We hope to see you there next time. And um, our next crowdsource question, yeah, is, hey, SFSP, you say often that communication is the most important thing and that you should talk to each other about things. But what happens when you have tried your hardest to talk to each other about things and still there are major problems where do you think is the line between nobody's perfect and all relationships take work and a partnership that just isn't healthy or working out and should be moved on from so that's a huge question i think about that a lot uh, we would love to hear from you your stories your wisdom your ideas around that uh, please let us know if you have thoughts and of course let us know if you have thoughts on anything anytime and keep sending us questions that you'd like us to address uh, on the air send us objections or clarifications about anything we've said anything anytime you think we're wrong um, we absolutely love being in conversation with you we value that so so much and uh, find us on Patreon, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, all the many, many ways we can stay in touch with each other. And if you're in New York City, we hope to see you at the party on May 16th. Woohoo! Well, I usually say authenticity is the sexiest, but I'm sure you have that. You've had that so many times. Cannot so be said enough. Okay. Well, authenticity is the sexiest, but also confidence is the sexiest. Enthusiasm is the sexiest. Winter fucking finally being over is the sexiest. Yay. <laughs>